Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy few weeks, but it's been you know, really good in many ways uh, for me and my family as my dad's been sick and things like that. I want to say that we, I picked uh, <laughs> Galatians 2.20 for our, our series verse, and I, then I thought, oh my, did we do that in a couple series back? But even if we did, it's a great verse to learn, and uh, you, can, you can certainly um, uh, uh, be enriched by, by reviewing it. But that verse is Galatians 2.20, I, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a wonderful verse, right? That's, that's a powerful verse to, to, to commit to memory, to have, like just have in the forefront of your thoughts. It really, it really does uh, guide us. So uh, I haven't made the little card yet because it was Christmas and, you know, we didn't really do everything we normally do. So we'll make little memory cards and we'll have them over there next week for, for you. And if you want to grab one of those, stick it in your pocket and keep it with you, that'll be great. Um, anyway. Never talk about religion or politics, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, classic bit of advice while you're sitting around your you know, Christmas dinner table with extended family who may not agree with you on certain things. Particularly relevant right now in our current cultural, cultural circumstance, um, studies do point to the increasing religious and Political and social divides occurring around the world today and in our country. Uh, the internet enables us to live in sort of echo chambers where we only listen to what we agree with and things like that. Books, podcasts, TV shows, or, or internet sites, plenty to choose from. We, we can go anywhere we want and find these things. And many of them don't really reflect the underlying intention of people, the good intention of people. They're just sort of angry sound bites, right? And some uh, of, of them do have good intention and some are maybe misinformed and misdirected and things like that. Although we have to admit there are people out there that have nefarious intent, that they really do seek to, to meet out evil on other people, but even they aren't beyond uh, repair or salvation and repentance and things like that. But Polarizing and adversarial conversations about difficult topics have impacted the church that Jesus loves. And if Jesus loves the church, which he does, then we should do all we can to find and and strive for unity within it. But uh, divisions are very much alive in the church. We know that. Um, Hot issues are the bane of all pastors right now. I'll tell you that. I've had numerous conversations with other pastors where they have conveyed how they're trying to to strive for unity in their church or attain unity in their churches uh, in such a hot climate as we have right now. Uh, Friendships are being divided. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes brought to vitriolic words, not even considering Jesus as our central, you know, unifying point in life. Some uh, churches have real problems with their congregants sort of breaking off into little camps. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't feel like we have those big problems here at all. But the vineyard isn't immune. It's not immune. We've had churches in the vineyard to bow out of the vineyard on certain large issues, some very great, bigger moral issues, thinking... uh, uh, Thankfully, that has been um, really 
well done. They, it's not been with a lot of great upset, which is, I think is a testimony to how the maturity of the vineyard as a whole. Uh, but they were churches who desire to deviate from biblical convictions of, Christ, of which Christianity has agreed on, you know, for centuries. It's, uh, you know, and sometimes, let's just be honest, it's sometimes better to divide. It, it is. It's, there's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a bad thing to divide, but it should be done on the authority of Scripture and uh, on major areas where, where, where it sacrifices the gospel um, and things like that. We've had people in the vineyard, uh, not necessarily people here, but I've heard it said in the vineyard that uh, they don't agree with the vineyard on certain issues. Uh, and if you're new here, the vineyard is our sort of family of churches across the world, right? Uh, but they say, I don't really agree with the vineyard on certain issues, but I'm just waiting for them to sort of change and turn the corner, which I, I consider to be not a great attitude, an underhanded attitude, and, and really not conducive to unity. I really don't think it is. What we really should be asking is, what does God's Word, what does Scripture say about all of these issues that we face these days, and come to agreement based on the Scripture despite our own feelings or opinions on them? We should conform our thinking to Scripture, not Scripture to our thinking, right? Although we have to admit, there are secondary issues of preference which sometimes create denominational differences in the world, and I, that doesn't really bother me. I know some people get really upset about denominational differences. That doesn't really bother me because I, I think they can maturely still have fellowship with other churches despite these. My brother is a pastor in, in uh, Florida. He has some very different views on secondary issues, but we have great fellowship. We can st- this church has fellowship with other churches in, in the, uh, the Haverford area, Havertown area, that have some little tweaked differences than us, and that's okay. We don't fight about those things. It's not a big deal, right? Sometimes religious zealotry can exacerbate division. Various groups claim to have the true grasp on a biblical position. You think of the Westboro Baptist Church. If you don't know who the Westboro Baptist Church is, Google it. You'll be surprised. Uh, But it's a small church with a very loud voice. And their methodology and their attack on certain groups has, you know, not helped mature you know, mature communication of other churches. It's, it's been hurtful. It's been hateful, things like that. Uh, sometimes people twist the Bible to support their own political position or what they desire for theology to say, right? People can be very prideful, uh, thinking that they can have a unique interpretation of Scripture outside of Orthodox Christian conviction, you know, and the shared beliefs of churches across the board throughout the centuries. Marcion in the second century was one who decided that he'd only accept certain books of the New Testament, not all of them. Uh, He would accept none of the Old Testament. He threw all of that out. And even then, he would reinterpret those books in the New Testament that he agreed with or that he kept differently than everybody else. He decided that the creator God of the Old, Old Testament was not the same father God of the New Testament, and that Jesus, uh, you know, uh, had no humanity about him, and, and, but he only looked to be so. And, and Marcion led a great number of people astray uh, over his time there, and, and he set the church to task of cleaning up his heretical mess. He was just, he did a lot of damage, which took a lot of people away 
from focus on evangelism and discipleship and care for the poor, from the, the central purposes of the church. Now, it did help us to, to land on some things and solidify some things, but it, was, it really derailed the church in some ways. You know, we struggle with certain questions right now. How should Christians vote? How ought we to face issues or questions about social issues and abortion and war and violence and inequality? What is the connection between faith and politics, between belief and lifestyle? These are big issues for us, big questions for us. So the one question for us right now today that I want us to wrestle with is, are we reflecting or overcoming division? Is our church, 6-8 Vineyard Church, this, this little body of believers here, are we reflecting or overcoming division? Right? In a cultural moment like this, the church has a challenge. It really does. Do we reflect all these divisions in the world, or do we challenge and transcend and overcome them? Do we run away from the hard conversations or do we believe actually in the uniting power of the Holy Spirit and God's word to help us find our way through them? Those are the questions we want to struggle with. And Jesus' prayer for unity in John 17, uh, 20 and 21 points the way. Turn with me in your church Bibles there and right in front of you uh, to page 739 if you can. Page 739, we're looking at John 17, verses 20 and 21. Page 739, John 17. And realize as you turn there that he's praying at this moment for the disciples, but you'll notice that he's also praying for us. All right? And this is what he says. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, right? I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, and that's us that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now notice that unity has to do with being in Christ, right? And, 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 And I will point out right now that thought, how you think, is the central defining factor of unity, Right? Thought, that's a very important point. Remember that one. Thought is the defining factor of unity. How you think. So to think differently than Jesus is to be outside of Jesus and also outside of the community with the Trinity. It seems that Jesus would believe that unity uh, of the church serves at least two purposes. One is that it reflects the Trinitarian uh, sort of nature of God in relationship. It demonstrates, demonstrates an, a, uh, an aspect of who God is, right? None of us fully understand. I, don't, I, I pastor a church, but I still don't fully understand the Trinity. None of us fully understands what the Trinity is. I, we don't really get it. But we do know that there is community reflected in the Trinity, Right? Our statement of faith says this, we believe in one true and living God, eternally existing in three persons, equal in power and glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This triune God created all, upholds all, and governs all. He governs all, right? Now, three persons of the Godhead working in unity for the same purposes. Trinity in unity. Trinity in unity. 
Admittedly, there's no disagreement in that sort of community as three persons with one essence in this Godhead. And God's word defines reality and truth and life's direction for the church. It really does. And this is why we believe here at 6-8, and I think in the vineyard, and I think in Orthodox churches across the board, that we believe the authority of the Scripture to be the vital governing factor of life and faith and relationships. Life and faith and relationships, governing, governing factor. So turn with me now to page 814 in your church Bible to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is a familiar passage, but it addresses this issue. Page 814. Timothy three sixteen and 17, which says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, we know that Scripture was written by people, but it is God-breathed through those people using the faculty of humankind to, to, to bring God's Word to us. So all Scripture, we believe, is God-breathed, that it's a revelation from God, that it's God saying it to us through people, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if we think that we're above rebuke or, correct or correcting or training and all that stuff, we, we are not really getting it, Right? That there is training, there is teaching, and when we are wrong, we are rebuked and we are corrected in church life. We are. That's good for us, by the way, right? So verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I had this little vision this morning of, of sailing a ship, if, and you've got your compass. If you're one degree off, just one degree off, you miss your target by thousands of miles right? But if you are right on point, you will get there. And that's, that's what we're talking about. So we course correct with each other. We course correct with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit, with the, with the scriptures. So this little passage communicates scripture's authority over us and our relationships. You know, it, 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 it is that important. Scripture is the Christian standard. Scripture is the Christian standard. We may not understand the scriptures perfectly, I'm not saying that. Or we may not even live them perfectly. But our limitations don't change what they are. Right? Nor should our limitations diminish our effort to strive towards understanding and reflecting God as we see Him in light of the Scriptures. Right? Most of our infighting and moral decline happen due to our drift from God's word as authoritative. God's given us plenty to know how to live, and the church has been in agreement on major issues concerning morality since the very beginning. Current arguments are nothing new. They're nothing new. They'll ebb away as they have in history's past. If you don't believe me, go read 1 and 2 Corinthians and its attack on the sexual ethic of the Corinthian church. It addressed it very clearly. Second, our unity is a witness to the world and inspires belief in other people, right? No one wants to be a part of community without unity, right? That rhymes. With, when a community doesn't know where it's going or why or, or maintain its boundaries, it degenerates into hurtful practices, if it doesn't have guiding principles for the health and wealth and be, uh, of, it, of its members, uh, it, it's a lost cause. 
What we don't understand is that life without boundaries, personal and communal, is one which produ- uh, promises freedom, but you know, actually leads us to slavery. Scripture, Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and the church community are like boundaries protecting us on, along our spiritual journey. That's something we have to come to terms with. When, when the church has its focus on glorifying Jesus, of being about Jesus' mission, while governed by his word and spirit, it is at its healthiest and most powerful. Only then do all the issues fall into place under the guiding hand of God's word and spirit. Matthew 6, verse 33. We looked at that last week. For instance, as far as issues go, Someone once, someone recently asked me, someone close to me asked me, uh, why am I a proponent of marrying young? I am, by the way. I think it's ridiculous how long we wait. Uh, Or not having a long engagement or dating for years. I just, I don't see the reason. I said, my response first was, why put yourself in constant temptation? We, because we believe, as Christians, that sex is reserved for the marriage, you know, for, uh, for marriage. It, and to avoid even the hint of sexual immorality in life. In other words, I may not even be in sexual immorality, but if I'm doing something that even gives somebody the reason to think that I am, I am not being responsible, Right? So sex is reserved for marriage. We, we don't even live a life that even gives a hint of sexual immorality in our life because sex is, the sex act is representative of God and the church. That's why it's so important. So take the, 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 the step to consummate a marriage in a way which reflects Christ's commitment and fidelity to the church. Commitment first since the sexual act represents and consummates full commitment, not the other way around. That's how it works in the Christian church. This simple truth would save so many people so much headache and heartache, right? Really, it really would. If, if the whole world lived this, think about how that would change society. Sorry. <laughs> Sex isn't only physical. I know the world is telling you that right now. It's just a physical pleasure. It is not only physical. It comes with an emotional, spiritual attachment. Sex is a theological endeavor. It is a theological endeavor. It reflects God's relationship and fidelity to the church. We are designed for commitment and fidelity. Beyond that, The propensity for our culture to guide its young people to live for themselves and enjoy life out there on their own before being tied down is detrimental to maturity and spiritual formation. This is the second part of my answer to that person. It propagates an immature, self-centered lifestyle. And, you know, it just just does. I, I can't say it any better. Christians reflect God. We reflect God, or we're supposed to. Right? If, if presented with a suitable spouse, then we take the mature step to commit. We commit. Being self-sacrificial to serve them until death. Right? That produces character. The former just prolongs adolescence and immaturity. 
Stepping up to responsibility in marriage does more for us than pursuing pleasure before we ever just settle down. The true fulfillment in life comes in the pursuit of God and the reflection of God to others in this world by how we live and what we say. So the church, I believe the church needs to speak in unity on basic things like marriage. It's between a man and a woman only, and consummation happens only after commitment is made before God and community. To do otherwise is not reflective of the commitment and the fidelity of Christ to his bride, who is the church. Somewhere along the way, we began to think that we could have belief without it, you know, sort of being tied to how we live. It would be harder to come up with a better summary of the central purpose of the church than to reflect God and to inspire faith in him to other people, right? And this is an age-old struggle for the church, an age-old struggle. From the very beginning, Jesus' prayer has proved to be wise for us, proved to be wise for us. It's difficult for us as humans to reflect divine unity, In New Testament times, Jews and Gentiles struggled with how to connect the sort of Jewish roots of Christianity to the broader social context. The early church struggled uh, with what it meant to be faithful in the midst of a pagan empire with all of its demands upon them. As the church grew, questions arose about church authority and relationships between church and state or how to translate the gospel into new cultures, different cultures and stuff like that. Conflicts produced situations in which obeying Jesus' commands was, you know, challenging to say the least. But all of that, the history of the church, gives us hope for our present time. It really does. While the church has never handled conflict perfectly, it has continued to be a faithful witness of Jesus. That's exciting. Many divisions and conflicts are resolved or put aside and, and we're not the first ones to face all these questions in, in our current context. And re- realize that there is revisionist history going on about the church as well. That the issues are attributed to the church which are sometimes unfair and outright wrong. At times, too much uh, focus has been placed on some who, although they proclaim to be Christ followers, have acted in ways which are a- absolutely unreflective of Jesus. And that focus has tainted the view of church across the world, assuming all Christians agree with their egregious acts. And we don't. We don't. And it's not what we preach in here. And if you're not sitting in these rooms, you don't hear that. So let's be wise as we walk our faith out that not all who attend church and proclaim Jesus are actually of Jesus. It's the truth. It is the truth. Church should be a place for seekers, It should be a place where people battling demons can come in and eventually be transformed by the Spirit of God. But their opinions and actions aren't always commiserate with scriptural teaching. Some practice or believe things that aren't in line with the Scripture. And they will change, hopefully, as they get closer to Jesus through the church community. Not to mention the fact that Jesus himself warned that the wheat and the weeds will grow together. The wheat and the weeds will grow together. And when he, wrote, when he said that, the weeds and the wheat looked very similar in a field. 
Very, very similar. Hard to tell apart. That's an interesting fact about that passage. But turn with me to page 667 in your church Bible. This is a little longer, so you're going to want to read along with it. 667, uh, Jesus deals with this issue in this parable that he shares in Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Matthew 13, 24 through 30, page 667. Starting in verse 24, he said, it says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So we do have a spiritual battle coming out, going on. There is a spiritual demonic world. There is Satan in this world that is working against the church, right? But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And remember, they look very similar. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't you sow, didn't you sow good weed, good weed, <laughs> good weed? <laughs> yeah, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Uh, where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go pull them, pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles and to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, this doesn't mean that we overlook all things in the church. But he does convey here that mature Christians live with a tension of difficulty in the body of Christ. We do. Given it sometimes does too much to, uh, uh, you know, to, too much damage in the church to weed out and confront every little issue. In other words, some within the church advocate for things that are contrary to a mature life in Christ. And our trust isn't in our own ability and our own intellect to weed all these little things out, although we do our best to lead people through them. Rather, we trust that God will deal with all of this stuff at the end of days, in finality, himself. Sometimes there's just the problem of being uh, simply misunderstood in discussion of issues. We know that as well, right? I've been blamed and maligned for things that I've never Never, never intended to communicate from the pulpit. Words can be easily twisted. It's difficult to communicate in an atmosphere right now of almost total distrust and fear. It really is. And that's our climate in America at this point, right? Our words and our intentions as believers are sometimes twisted to mean something contrary to our own convictions. I love those signs seems to be an attack on Christian thought. Uh, science is real. What, what Christian, and I said this a couple weeks ago, what Christian doesn't think that science is real? That's a, that's a dumb statement. And if they sat in this room, they would know that. It's just not, it's just silly. We, like sometimes we are blamed for things that we don't really want to communicate. You know, it's just kind of stupid. Um, so what's this series designed to do? If you haven't figured out, I'm introducing a five-week series in front of us. This, this, this is designed to help you as a Christian to learn to have discerning, effective conversations in love with those that you, you might disagree with. But that's only possible if we have internal unity on primary issues and maturity on secondary issues. We can disagree in church. 
but not about the majors. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the grave to save us from... Nobody disagrees with that in here. You can't. You're not being a Christian if you disagree with that. All right? Get that? Um, somebody could show up at this, this church and wear a head covering. A woman could wear a head covering because she could be convicted by the scriptures that she should, and that's fine. She could do that, but we could disagree on that, that issue, right? Um, anyway. The affirmations we're going to explore over the next uh, few weeks will give us guidance on how to love as kingdom people in good communication. Hopefully, right? The basic value of learning from others, particularly the, those that we don't, that don't think like us, is, is going to be a thread that's going to run through these sermons because we do want to learn from people, right? So we all want to learn to have these hard conversations in love, bringing thoughtful perspective to challenging topics. But how do we do it when emotions are high and values are challenged? It's hard. You know, I've said some things here this morning that you might be practicing in your life. I'm not there to condemn you. That's not my job. I'm not here to pass judgment on you. But these things have to be talked about in church. And, and you need to be comfortable that I'm not sitting here like looking at you with a crooked eye. I, I have my issues in my life, right? So let's, let's be mature about these things. But in a polarized, polemic world, the ability to have conversations which bring life to both parties will be important for years to come. To learn how to do that, right? Whether we're talking about uh, politics or race or violence or religion or worldview, social issues or justice, we can bring Jesus to the moment and hopefully leading people to a life-changing interaction. So what resources does the Bible give for hard conversations? I think it gives a lot. And over the next five weeks, we're going to ponder five scriptural themes which might help us to experience the unity Jesus prayed for us to to have together in the church. We'll take one affirmation per week in the next five weeks. Affirmation number one, that God has all truth, but we don't have a perfect understanding of it. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Affirmation number two, being loving is, is as important as being right. Now, I want you to hear that I did not say that being right is unimportant. Because that's what some people interpret that statement to mean. That, oh, love only. No. Love and, and find truth. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. That's true worshipers, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Affirmation number three. The Spirit can create unity where it once seemed impossible. That is the truth. Acts 15, 30 through 31. We'll look at that. Affirmation number four. We can find our identity in Christ, not in our belief systems. Galatians 2, 20. Now, I did not say that our belief systems are unimportant, that they shouldn't be good, strong belief systems and improving all the time. They should. I'm not saying belief systems are out the window. What, what I'm saying is that we want to find our identity in Christ, that we want to have trust in him, that he's going to deal with these things. Affirmation number five, we choose to accept that we live in the already and the not yet, that the kingdom of God has come, but it's not yet fully come. We're in this weird time in history where we're dealing with all this, and we're going to look at John four twenty three there. But Christians need to lead the way. That's my belief right now. Christians need to lead the way. And solid Christians need an assurance of faith. They, they need reliability on, their, on the scriptures and to learn how to communicate well. We live in America divided. We really do. I've never, I'm 52, I've never experienced America like this. 
we face issues right now in the church that we can no longer avoid or not talk about. And we're going to talk about them this year. Our culture is struggling to find unity and coherence in the midst of a deeply divided world. Let's show how life can be, like what life can be like if, if God's people find ways to go deeper and love harder and work longer for unity than anybody else. And in that same breath, let's remember that we are here to proclaim Christ to a dying world. We're not here to, to morph ourselves to our culture. We are here to be the, 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 the herald of the gospel to a dying world. Christ has called us upwards into holiness, into purity, that is reflective of God's trinity in unity, which has all a huge impact, an overarching and, and complete impact on how we live, on the decisions we make, what we do with our bodies, who we marry, our thoughts, our money, our time, our talents, who we hang out with, what we do with our time, all that kind of stuff. It really does. And I hope that this year we can delve farther into what it means to have our lives governed, you know, by his word and and the leading of his spirit together in unity as a church, which I think we have. And we just want to maintain that. And we want to navigate these waters well as we we walk through this life together. When we're confused, let me leave, leave you with just some practical advice. If you're confused, pray Search the scriptures and consult trusted resources. And I say trusted resources strongly. Trusted resources such as church leadership, you know, uh, vineyard leadership, and others, other trusted voices uh, out there such as authors or pastors from other trusted uh, churches. But not just anyone. Not just anyone. Since there are some very misleading voices out there right now. There really are. Somebody said to me the other day, well, I've got to read so-and-so. I said, no, you're not going to read that. There's nothing virtuous in there. There's nothing redeeming in their theology. It's just going to take you off into some way that you don't need to go. I know that sounds anti-intellectual. I wouldn't say that to everybody. There are some people I say that to. Some people I think can handle reading another thing. But this person at this point in time did not need to read that. That was not healthy for them. And that was leading of the Spirit on my part, I believe. Jesus has already prayed for us. You can't have somebody better than that praying for you, right? He has already prayed for us. May his kingdom come. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven as we move forward in the coming year, right? Amen. Let me pray for us. We're awfully quiet. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are here and you are present. We love you. We love you. We love you. We can't say that more strongly. We want to reflect you to this world, and we want conviction of what that means to our thinking, to our lives, how we're living our lives, the decisions we're making, and everything about it, Father God. We pray that your spirit would bring us together, that you would, I think of like just, you know, weaving a line through all of us and then pulling it and cinching us together underneath your thought, your heart, where you want us to go, what you want us to be about. We love you so much. 
We want to be a people that reflect your holiness, your purity, your conviction, your commitment, your fidelity to the world. And what we do with our body and our minds, even in private moments, makes a big difference in that. Come, Holy Spirit, bring us deeper, take us farther, and let us walk with you uh, into the new year. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to say, just, I didn't mean to say this, sorry. Uh, I was speaking to some people that were at my house last night. Um, They live uh, not in, they live in another state. Friends of mine. And and they said, they, they were complaining about their church. They were complaining about how shallow it is and how light it is and how, you know, the, the pastor never really talks about deep subjects or powerful subjects. And it's just like everybody's supposed to feel happy all the time and all that stuff. It's not that I'm against feeling happy, but man, I don't want a shallow church. I don't think any of us really do. We want depth. We want passion. We want truth and conviction. Um, but we don't want to do that with a frown on our face. We want to be. We want to find the joy in Christ, but we also we want to be serious when we need to be serious. Hence, sermons like these. 